On the second episode of the Physio Foundations podcast, we're joined again by Associate Professor Pete Maliaris from Monash University. And this is part two of our conversation. If you haven't listened to part one, which was the foundational knowledge and skills of an expert in tendinopathy, go back and listen to that first. We're going to continue the conversation. And in part two of the conversation, Peter and I are going to talk about progressing the next level of knowledge and skills in tendinopathy. So, Pete, thanks for joining me again. Thank you very much, Luke. Let's go straight back into it. So um, in the last conversation, we finished up talking about prognosis and the people who perhaps um, have a less favorable response to treatment and those who do better. And there was a lot of questions left unanswered. So let's go and talk about those in more detail. So um, you often see people in the clinic in your role. So you're a a, uh, clinical expert in tendinopathy and a researcher in tendinopathy. And it's fair to say that you'd commonly see people who have tried various therapies. They might've seen other clinicians and then they're seeing you. So where do you start? I I think that's a really good question because it's um, you don't, you don't want to ever be too confident. That's, that's always been my, I, I guess I am a researcher because I'm not confident in my knowledge because I think when you are overconfident and you think you know everything, uh, what happens is you're not critical and you're just basically applying stuff that you think is right. Maybe it's not right. Um, So uh, I think... um, when someone comes in and they've tried everything, the worst, pretty much the worst thing you can do with them is be, I think, this is just my opinion, but be too confident and say, I know what's going to fix you. Uh, you haven't done this. You have to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes and say, look, you've done exercise, you've tried it. Um, it's possible you haven't done it for long enough. It's possible uh, you haven't done it intensely enough. Maybe it's maybe you have, um, and maybe we're not going to get a good response with this. But what I can suggest is that you try. You, you you may think to yourself, you know, that I'm telling you stuff you've done already. But let's see if you you know. J- tell me if you are, and this is the approach I take. Tell me if you are. Uh, but have you done this, this, and this in this, this, and this way? And um, a lot of the time, people say. No, I haven't. Uh, sometimes they'll say, "Yeah, I think I have," and and that and I see that all the time because I see people who come in and, I mean, they sometimes patients come in and they basically are regurgitating the program that I would set them uh, because a physio has come to one of the courses that I do, and uh, they've had the same program that I would probably set them. So. I, I'm not going to go and repeat that program for that person. Uh, we're going to look at other options. So we've got, I think you do have to, yes, we all think we can we can get people better and we can all, because otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. Uh, but we also have to be uh, conscious that exercise is not a panacea. It doesn't work for everyone. Um, we can't always get people better regardless of our best intentions. Um, and I think if you accept that, you can then start to uh, think, 
about other options and involving other clinicians. So it could be sports doctor colleagues, or it could be um, <clears throat> could be referring back to the GP or um, uh, referring for um, you know other 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 things. So I think I think that is yeah, it's important to my, my experience has been it's important not to be too confident that you can get everyone better, given the evidence environment that we live in with exercise is not great. We could stop the podcast right there and that'd be the, <laughs> that'd be the main lesson. Don't be overconfident. It's easy to do. You learn a little bit and you mm. try to apply it. Um, mm. It stops mm. you from being critical. It really ties back to what you were saying earlier in the first episode about your approach and how you've become so curious about um, research and about gathering clinical evidence and measuring lots of things and in many ways being on the frontier of tendinopathy practice by by trying lots of different things haven't just followed a pattern mm. and I, I noticed in that summary you just gave then with it was interesting you used the words may it may be you used um suggest can i suggest yeah let's see so it's not um not taking a hard line with people and saying you've reached the end of the road here you've you know this has failed and you're certainly not putting down other clinicians which is something i respect about you mm. uh, there's too much of that um, I'm always very um, mindful, critical, hesitant to join in a conversation where, uh, you know, where we're talking about how you've been to see a clinician, a doctor, or a physio, and mm. and they, they did nothing for me, and they they gave me some some stretches that didn't work. You don't you don't, you weren't there. You don't know what they did yeah. in that consultation. Absolutely, um, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It's really important. Uh, it's really you just don't know, and and the same thing the same thing happens with diagnosis because a person's diagnosis one day can be different the next day. Um, it can be different week to week, can be different day to day. So if you you can't even say, oh, this person misdiagnosed you because it could change over time, and it often does. So it's it's uh, it's you do you do learn to be you know, a little bit careful about judging other people and how they treat and do things because it's, you just don't, you just weren't there. That's a, that's a really good point. Mm. And so it, it becomes a, a conversation, you know, with the patient and, you know, mm. and you know, potentially something that you're going to be a part of the journey rather than a destination that they've finally got to see you and finally got the right treatment. It's interesting that a lot of the people you've seen have been doing exactly what you would have been prescribing them. So, so what changes, what do you, what do you do differently? Do you think to get, so you do, it's fair to say that you get some, some pretty good clinical outcomes um, and, you know, expert clinician in this area. What are some of the things you do differently? Do you think without, Comparing and contrasting, how do you take it further and and try to get people better when they have had um, failed treatment in the past? Failed treatment is the wrong words. Um, I mean, they haven't yet reached the outcomes that where they need to be. I think it's uh, so. You've got it's probably comes down to um, thinking about. Um, I think it comes down, and this is where it's going to sound a bit contradictory maybe, but it's now going to be confidence in what you're doing. So I've just said don't be too confident. Now I'm going to completely reverse that. It's just thinking off the top of my head. I hope this makes sense. But uh, I think what then you have to do, if you do commit to something like 
All right, so we're going to do this exercise approach. You've got to be confident in the implementation of that approach. So you've got to, you've got to be able to um, basically uh, roll with the punches. And there will be times when you think, especially for difficult tendon patients, am I doing the right thing? Am I actually, is this person actually going to get better with this approach? Um, is it, look, they've come back to me a month later, they're no better. What do I do? Um, you know, they've already had a two-year history. What do I do now? And you've got to be confident that you've got to stick to the principles and you've got to keep on going. And that's not to say keep on going regardless of what happens. Obviously, they come back and they're, you know, they can't walk or they're, they're much worse. Um, and obviously, you've got, to, you've got to be confident because your diagnosis is right and you've got all the other things, all your ducks are, are, are aligned. But um, if they are, You've got, to, you've got to follow it through. You can't just panic and say, when the patient comes in panicking, you can't panic as well. You can't, you can't join that choir of panic because it's just going to lead to more panic and it's going to lead to uh, them going to get injections and surgery. Well, the nature of tendinopathy is a cycle of, <clears throat> of overloading, underloading and reaction to that and <clears throat> the reaction that you have to it. Mm. is not necessarily helpful for the condition. It's a condition that takes many months to improve. So I think the word you said there that was really helpful was commit mm. and then have confidence to what you've committed to mm. and then be aware of those you know, daily fluctuations and the, the fact that it's not going to be easy and it's going to require a lot of effort versus just confidence with everything where yep. that, that exactly. will lead to biases and lead you to finding, as you said in the first episode, finding results that aren't there because you haven't measured accurately. And mm. Mm. Um, so let's let's segue into research. I think that's a is a good time to talk about um, some of the research that you do at Monash Uni and previously. So tell us currently about your um, tell us about your current interests in research at Monash and and your program of research? So we basically have, um, we basically have a, 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 well, we call ourselves the musculoskeletal, re, uh, Monash musculoskeletal research unit. We've got, we've got a group of academics and uh, postdocs and PhD students focused on musculoskeletal conditions, basically. But we, we generally do trials um, so there's a few trials that I'm working on, but I also, I also am very interested in lab-type mechanisms work. So looking at, say, for example, what uh, how do people with Achilles tendinopathy hop and does that change over time with exercise? Uh, various various sort of lab-based studies as well. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a real mix of different things. It's a real mix of different, some telehealth research, but it's all under the banner of, tendinopathy, musculoskeletal type conditions, basically. Uh, but it's it's just a fortunate, fortunate, fortunate position that I'm finding myself in. I don't know how I got here, really. I don't know if that's a good message for, for new grads, but it's uh, I just feel lucky to be able to go to work every day and just think and try and answer questions. And it's just, it's it's a fortunate, it's it's just a good, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, it is a fun job. Definitely. So the message for new grads, it's if you're thinking about research and you've got some interest in research, it is definitely, I find it a very fulfilling type pathway to have gone down for sure. Mm. I feel the same about my work in physio education. You wake mm. up every day. You do have mm. to find your calling. You've got to mm. find something that mm. that you would do anyway. 
you, you need to put a roof over your family's head, but something that you, you would do in your spare time if you weren't being paid for it. Um, and so that that is a really important point. So you've got to – physiotherapy or any musculoskeletal practice is – takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? You, um, you can get burned out pretty quick, pretty easily. And if you can go into it with a lot of energy and keep thinking about why you're doing it, I think that's really important. Um, I, by the way, so, so for listeners, um, Peter and I work together at Monash University and we're both a member of the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit. And one of our PhD students, um, Sanam Tavakoli, is doing a really interesting PhD on load, me- measuring load in tendinopathy. So using um, sensors um, to measure people's load as they move around every day. Um, so there's an example of one of the research projects. And I had Sanam on the MMRU podcast yesterday. So we got her to speak. It's fantastic. So that'll be coming out. That's great. Um, so Look, forward Look forward to that. If you're interested in... Uh, I was very, very happy to get her um, talking on the podcast because she's very, very good. Um, but, you know, no, no one will know if she doesn't turn on the microphone and talk and you might read her papers, but it was really good to hear from her. So I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But um, if you're interested in more of the just specific research chats, you can follow that episode and other episodes there. Let's just wrap this up. I know you've got another research meeting, um, Pete. So what are some of the key resources that clinicians and students should know about or could know about to learn more about tendinopathy? So websites and courses, you've got your own course, for example. Yeah, my my course uh, is the Mastering Lowell Tendinopathy course. Uh, there's, um, what else is there? There's lots, like, there's lots of online stuff. Go on Twitter, um, you know, the stuff that you do on Twitter, the stuff that uh, Tom Goom and other people do on Twitter is really good. There's so much out there now. It's just, just be critical, though. Just be critical. Just always think um, if someone's got a really strong opinion, have they, have they got strong evidence to substantiate that? Uh, and that's that's really important to always think about. So just be critical, whatever you're reading. Even my stuff, if I'm saying stuff that doesn't make sense, just email me and say, look, this is this is wrong. Mm. And if it is wrong, I'll I'll change it. I think that's a sign of the person you want to listen to, the person who says, hey, um, I don't know. Uh, this mm. is my best guess of this would be this. Uh, and who's willing to change their mind when new evidence comes along. And, you know, that, like we are talking about before, that's what makes this profession fun is that you're thinking and you're being critical and you're always learning. That's why we're doing this conversation right now. It's all, it's a uh, professional development. I get to chat to lots of people. That's my goal. And um, hopefully, you know, listeners find these conversations really helpful and um, we can share that rather than having ho- um, corridor conversations that are amazing and no one else gets to hear it. Well, I think uh, targeting new grads is a really good idea because new grads, I mean, I think back and I've already said about my sort of level of uh, ineptitude when I was a a new grad. And and I'm not saying for a second that everyone's as inept as I was, but um, if if, if they're uncertain, things like this are really useful for them. Uh, And I think it's a good good sort of time to be upskilling when you're in new Yeah, and hearing other people particularly someone who's at the advanced level talking about their uncertainty and talking about the importance of not being overconfident, but then committing to things that they know they need to stay the course on. I think that's important to know. I would have loved to hear this when I was a new grad. So I hope it's helpful. 
to listeners. There'll be more. If you have any questions for Peter, um, you can find him at Twitter's good, isn't it? <laughs> at Dr. Dr. Pete, Pete Meliaris. Yeah, that's the one. At Dr. Pete Meliaris. Or you can just email me, peter.meliaris at monash.edu. Uh, very generous of you. So put them in the show notes. Um, you can find Pete everywhere online and you can he loves answering questions about tendons. And he mentioned his course as well, which is really popular. So let's wrap it up there. Um, thank you very much, Peter. And listeners, see you in the next episode. 